0: Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them.
1: There is no shortage of hiking trails in the national park system. From coastal walks and boardwalk trails, to trails that run the ridges of the Teton Crest Trail in Grand Teton National Park, and the wildly popular hike to the top of Old Rag in Shenandoah National Park, the options can be overwhelming if you had endless time to explore the parks. This is Kurt Repencheck, your host at National Park's Traveler. It might come as a surprise to those who view Yosemite National Park as just an iconic valley in a grove of soaring sequoias, but there are more than 800 miles of hiking trails in that park. And to get a feeling for those trails, we're joined today by Elizabeth Wink, the author of the sixth edition of your complete hiking guide, Yosemite National Park from Wilderness Press. We'll be back in a minute with Lizzie and to find out most of what you need to know about hiking in Yosemite.
0: The Yosemite Conservancy helps visitors connect with Yosemite through adventures, volunteering, and the arts. It's the only nonprofit dedicated to supporting Yosemite National Park and funds grants to improve trails, restore habitat, protect wildlife, and inspire the next generation of nature lovers. Learn more at yosemite.org. Whether it be strategy, business planning, change management, board development, executive search, or diversity planning, Potrero Group is here to help. They mix a depth of experiences in the parks and land space with the breadth of best practices from other industries. For more information or to schedule a preliminary conversation, go to PotreroGroup.com. That's P-O-T-R-E-R-O Group.com. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org.
1: Okay, we're back today with Elizabeth Wank, the author of the sixth edition of Your Complete Hiking Guide, Yosemite National Park. Now, Lizzie, before we get into the book, the guts of the book, um, I'm curious. You have a doctorate in alpine plant ecology. What prompted you to turn to writing? I mean, it's not exactly a very lucrative profession.
2: Well, I had finished my PhD and moved to Bishop, California at the foot of the Sierra due to my husband's job and was working part-time at the community college there, significantly underemployed, and a friend dropped my name to Wilderness Press, and they actually approached me to update their iconic John Muir Trail guide in 2005, no, 2006, and it's gone on from there.
1: It's definitely an interesting profession and um, highly competitive, more so now with uh, the internet and all those options out there. And, And we'll get into that in a little bit later. Now, I've been to Yosemite a few times, though most of those visits were focused primarily on the Yosemite Valley and some of the usual high country day hikes off of the Tioga Road. Do you think most people view the valley and not the hiking possibilities when Yosemite National Park is mentioned?
2: Oh absolutely far over 90% of visitors to Yosemite never go beyond the valley. So there are tour buses of day use visitors who only spend an hour or two in the valley and that's where they head that's the only part of Yosemite they see. Then there are others who will drive the roads through the park and take a couple of maybe 20 minute walks but there's maybe 2 or 3% of visitors who actually explore the true wilderness
1: areas. So do you do you find the trails uncrowded?
2: I find that as soon as you go beyond the best known trails, they are remarkably uncrowded. So as you said, there are more than 800 miles of trails in the park. And among those, there are probably 100 miles of trail where there will be a lot of people. The first miles from the roads and those iconic walks like up Half dome, a few walks out of the Tuolumne Meadows area. Yosemite is huge. And mm-hmm. I have gone the better part of a day without seeing a person in the park. Really? Yes.
1: January, February?
2: No, no. August. <laughs> August. You just you have to walk the first 20 miles in from the trailhead and then it's there'll be a few people, but it's mostly all yours.
1: That that first 20 miles, just knock it off in a couple of hours. <laughs> Now you know you're absolutely right about the trail to Half Dome. I mean, going up the Mist Trail to Vernal Falls and Nevada Falls, it's shoulder to shoulder in the high season. Absolutely. And um, conversely, if you go to some of those trails out of the Tuolumne Meadows area, I mean, I, I hiked uh, down the JMT a ways um, one year, and I think I had uh, once I crossed the the one bridge, I had the whole trail to myself for, for several hours. As you say in your acknowledgement in the front of the book. This title, Hiking Yosemite, quote, has long been considered the most comprehensive tome on Yosemite's trails and choice off-trail lake basins. On top of that, um, you're actually taking on the book that uh, Jeff Schaefer launched um, some years ago, some decades ago. Yes. No pressure with those two um, facts in mind, is there? I mean, how did this come about and and did the fact that it's such a highly regarded title and that Jeff had put so much of his blood, soul, and guts into it, did that put any stress on you?
2: Oh, it means you have to get every single word correct. Absolutely. So, um, you know, Jeff was the author for the first five editions of the book and has now decided his age has caught up with him to retire off the title, and Wilderness Press offered it to me. Jeff is is amazingly astute. There were so many times I would be walking a trail and jotting in my notebook what I saw, what plants there were, what the feel was, get home, read what he had written, and it was nearly identical. And on the one hand, that gave me a lot of confidence in my updating. On the other hand, it told me I could never space out. I had to pay attention to every single step I took to make sure I was doing due diligence.
1: Yeah, I I had one of those situations myself back when I was writing guidebooks and it was a a kid's guide to the national parks. And I'll have to admit, I was intimidated to take on that project because the original author, I thought had done such a wonderful job and how could I possibly improve on his work? And and you feel bad about it trying to improve on his work, because you might totally miss.
2: What I can say is that even though you think of a wilderness area as staying the same for eternity, there are continuous ecological changes. So much of Yosemite's western half has been burnt in fires in the last few decades. There are floods, there are avalanches, and so the text from even a decade earlier doesn't exactly reflect what a hiker will see.
1: Sure.
2: And so what you have to tell yourself is your job is to take what the previous author provided and take it the next step. re reformat sections into what um, readers expect today. So far fewer long, they want, they want um, nice map, colorful maps. They want distinct trail logs. They want distances. They want GPS coordinates. So it's a different expectation for what the readers want than they used to. And so that's how I approach it.
1: Now, I'm curious. I mean, um, I read uh, one of your, well, I reviewed two of your other books. One was One Best Hike Grand Canyon um, exactly 12 years ago. And what really struck me was um, you provided such a, a wonderful primer on Geology, wildlife, natural history, and even the dangers of hiking in Yosemite National Park—had H- Jeff included some of that in the previous five editions, or did you have to really um, dig a little bit deeper to to flesh out those sections?
2: So Jeff is a geologist by training, and oh, okay, <laughs> he has—he does have the same approach I do—that the book is partially to guide people. To walk in the right location but in as much to educate people about what they're seeing along the trail and so we very much have the same perspective there i did go through every sentence that was written and review the geology with yosemite's park geologist greg stock sure. and send sections on the mammology to yosemite's then um chief of wildlife and i'm a but botanist by training, so I reviewed those myself. But I do, I sent the history section to an MPS historian. I very much wanted to both make sure the book had a lot of depth, but also was accurate.
1: Yeah, a, a quick, easy project. When you were going through the manuscript, did you encounter any sections that Jeff had previously written that, that required a substantive rewrite? I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, there were forest fires in Yosemite, and that's got to change the the viewshed that that hikers are going through. Um, Anything more than that?
2: Well, let me first quickly touch back on the forest fires because it's more than just talking about how the vegetation changes. Those sections were completely rewritten because it's also the feel of the hike. When Jeff might have written, this is a lovely shaded hike for a hot summer's day, It had to sort of, the entire hike had to be reframed for this is a wonderful hike when the spring wildflowers are in bloom, but -hmm. you might want to skip it later in the season. So there were those sorts of things that required substantive rewrites. The other would be that our understanding of the tectonic history of the Sierra keeps evolving. And so there were sections of the geology that had to be updated to incorporate the most recent hypotheses. So I would say those are two of the big things.
1: Climate change.
2: Well, you know, you touch on that. Until no one can still pinpoint that the forest fires in California are explicitly caused by human-induced climate change versus natural climate cycles. Certainly most scientists would suggest that the increased incident of forest fires matches our increased drought together with human-induced climate change. But you have to be careful not to peg outcomes on something that's uncertain. So no one's uncertain that that there's human-induced climate change, but do we know that that specific fire is the result of it?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, that's uh, harder to say than than not. Um, At the same time, I think that the science has proven that climate change is is leading to more intense wildfires and more unpredictable fire behavior. So
2: one of the interesting things is that the worst fires in Yosemite were now the better part of a decade ago. Yosemite was very proactive in terms of all the national parks in allowing fire naturally occurring fires to burn through their lands when Fire suppression was still um, the policy in the adjacent national forests. And so starting already in the 1990s, there were a series of quite intense wildfires in Yosemite. But those forests have now mostly burnt through once. And so there are still very intense damaging wildfires burning through Yosemite. But the forests have been far less decimated than areas to the north and south in the national forest because some of the understory had already been cleared. Sure. So that's actually been a very heartening example of the importance of the changing fire policy.
1: Yeah, and I think we saw that in Sequoia National Park this summer with the KNP complex, I believe it was, and and how the Park Service's um, approach to clearing out the understory um, and prescribed burns really kind of helped minimize the impact of the fire, at least around the giant forest. I mean, there's obviously backcountry areas where they can't get in there on a regular basis to, to do the same type of prescriptive behaviors that burn pretty pretty hot and devastating in terms of uh, forest loss. Absolutely. Now, Yosemite is a, a fabulous place. I mean, you can go back to John Muir and, and his early discussions about, you know, the glaciers coming through and, and, and carving the valley. And um, you get to play around with a lot of that interpretation over the years in the book don't
2: you you mean just sort of thinking through how how Yosemite has formed across hundreds of millions of years yeah absolutely and you know I have a background in geology but I still keep seeing new things every time you pass through and Mm -hmm. one of the learnings for me over time has been how astute John Muir must have been when he visited these areas for the first time and saw all this evidence of glaciation and interpreted it accurately from the start. Mm-hmm. I, 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 have a, I have a lot of admiration for his ability to see the landscape. But yes, I, one of the things with writing is that each iteration of the book well, this is my first iteration on this book, but I'm now working on my third update of the John Muir Trail book. You include new little vignettes and stories about the geology, about the other aspects of natural history, about human history, because you, I as an author, keep learning. And I want to share new things I've learned with the audience. And so I'm forever tweaking and changing and calling people's attention to different aspects of the landscape and history.
1: So so can you, pull one off the top of your head that's in, in the hiking yosemite guide
2: well one of them is exfoliation so in yosemite you have these series of domes that have not been glaciated along yosemite valley's rim and they're you think of them like an onion with layers of rock that have sort of peeled off in concentric circles mm-hmm. and these are there are these widespread fractures and tectonic forces that allow these fractures to form, it's the same aspect that causes Yosemite Valley to be so steep. We think of it in terms of glaciation and glaciers certainly deepened and widened Yosemite quite a bit. But the reason we have vertical walls like Half Dome like El Capitan is that you have these region-wide fractures that cause entire sheets of rock to slump off and fall to the ground, maintaining that vertical profile.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty pretty crazy. I mean, there was there was a period not too many years ago when, or maybe it was too many years ago. I lose track of time from time to time, um, where there were quite a few rock falls, relatively speaking, in the Yosemite Valley. Yes,
2: and they're continuing. They will continue. Um, yeah. They're being carefully monitored. When you start looking back, even at the history from fifty years ago of trails, you discover locations that so the trail up to the vernal fall bridge the miss beginning of the mist trail which has thousands of people on it there's a section there where you walk across a, the base of a small little talus slope and that was that talus slope was from the formed in the early 1980s in a rock fall and buried the trail under 30 feet of rock wow and so you 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 hear something like this and you think that just happened. One winter's day, suddenly the trail there just out of the valley was had vanished. Or another place where a railing was left hanging as the entire vista it was supporting fell away.
1: Yeah, we're seeing some of that at uh, Zion National Park in recent years with uh, some of the, the trails in the uh, Zion Canyon. Now, you point out in the book that Yosemite has more than 800 miles of maintained Trail Inside the Park Boundaries, as well as several hundred more just outside the park. Did you hike each and every one of those trail miles in preparation for this book?
2: Absolutely, I did.
1: I mean, you grew up you grew up in the Sierra, so I'm guessing you hiked many of the trails before you got this assignment. I mean, did you go back and, and still, once you get that assignment, track all 800 miles?
2: I did, and so I was offered the book title I think in 2013 or 14 and I then over the next four or five years hiked every one of those miles carrying two GPS units to map them and with a notebook
1: in hand. Yeah I was going to get into your tools um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll touch on that again. Back in the last century as I like to refer to it um, I wrote the dummy's guide to national parks. And it was an ignoble title that um, I suggested be changed, but publishers being publishers, they weren't going to go there. Anyway, with the budget that they had given me and the number of parks to be covered, I found myself practically flying through the parks when it came to hiking trails. It was not exactly the most enjoyable approach to a hike. Did you find yourself doing the same thing, or did you take more time to have a somewhat more leisurely approach to exploring those 800 miles?
2: Well, uh, anyone who knows me knows I hike long days, so I cover a fair number of miles per day, but I don't make it feel rushed to myself, so I do most of my walking for guidebooks on my own. Mm -hmm. I find that I immerse myself in the landscape much better when I'm just by myself, so I don't feel that it's, with very few exceptions, usually when it's raining, I don't feel that I'm rushed. I'm enjoying it. I'm looking around me. I make sure I budget time so that if I something entices me off trail or to look more deeply, I have time for that. But I am generally hiking at least 20 miles a day.
1: Still, that, that sounds wonderful compared to what I did. I remember I was in, in Shenandoah, and I only had X, you know, three, maybe three days in Shenandoah. And I had a check off all these trails. And I was, I was flying down this one trail and just as I was about to put my foot down, I I saw a copperhead snake coiled up on the trail and I was able to leap over him, but um, certainly not the kind of leisurely hike that one would take after reading a a guidebook and deciding that's the trail they're going to go down.
2: No. And I was, you do definitely immerse yourself. By backpacking, you also have those mornings and evenings spent in a, in a location, you, I sort of very carefully choreograph where I'm going to camp each night. And so you're really engaging with the whole landscape then. I tend to do a lot of off-trail walking and climbing peaks, and those are at a much slower pace as well. And so I make sure I always budget time to spend half an hour sitting on a peak and just staring at the landscape. <laughs> so there there are, I I very carefully plan out where my downtime is during the day.
1: Perfect. Sounds perfect. We're talking today with Elizabeth Wank, the author of the sixth edition of your complete hiking guide, Yosemite National Park from Wilderness Press. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back.
0: Nova Scotia, 8,000 miles of coastline dotted with colorful fishing villages, quaint coastal towns, and an abundance of scenic natural beauty home to two national parks, Cape Breton Highlands and Kedjemakujik. Spend your nights under a canopy of twinkling stars. Spend your days exploring trails, beaches, historical waterways, and tons of cultural and recreational experiences. Visit NovaScotia.com today to start planning your natural getaway. Enjoy a reduced auto loan rate this holiday season with Interior FCU, With rates as low as 1.99% and a quick approval, you could finance a truck, car, or even snowmobile. Dash through the snow and over to Interior FCU for a great rate. For a limited time only, new and used car rates are the same at an all-time low. Interior Federal Credit Union, the official credit union for the Department of the Interior and your natural resource for financial services. Membership is required. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It's also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org. The North Cascades Institute has a large portfolio It's an environmental learning center, training center, conference center, and leadership center, all set in the splendor of the North Cascades National Park Complex. Learn more at ncascades.org. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to raise private support to deepen everyone's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org.
1: All right, we're back with Elizabeth Wank, the author of The Complete Hiking Guide, Yosemite National Park. Now, Lizzie, I'm kind of curious. Um, you you kind of touched on it a little bit. When you are on assignment on a trail hiking guidebook, what tools do you take?
2: Okay, well, so I carry two GPS units, sort of standards, um, standalone Garmin eTrex GPS units, and they're each logging data every six seconds. Why two? Why two? Because every now and then one of them fails and goes awry. So I I learned a long time ago, you always want to back up.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I have a camera and I have a paper notebook and I've taught myself to walk along the trail while writing. So I tend to just sit there scribbling notes as I
1: go. Wow. I can never read those notes. (laughs) You ever think about using a digital recorder and just talking as you walk?
2: I have. And I've occasionally used my phone for that purpose when it's raining out and it's um, far less efficient and I capture less information. I can write on paper while walking. The actual time you take to transcribe from a digital recording once you get home is far longer than typing up paper notes.
1: Well, I found there's a software app out there that you can upload your audio to and it does a pretty good job of transcription. It's only like five bucks a month, maybe 14.
2: I would say the other thing is I think I, I'm one of these people who by writing something down remembers it and by saying it, it's easily forgotten. And so I think I internalize what I'm seeing much more by putting it up to paper.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Now um, you have a husband and you have two, two daughters. Do you take them on the trail with you?
2: I do whenever I can. So uh, they both joined me, for instance, walking from Tuolumne Meadows to Mammoth when they were aged four and six and have done you know a week long backpacking trip in the Sierra every summer since then. Wow. But of course, distances tend to be a little bit shorter with kids, even now they're teenagers, but they still wouldn't appreciate my normal schedule. <laughs> so we we do a family walk and sometimes it's based around books and sometimes it's not.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I get that. I think sometimes um, when we go to a national park as a family, um, I'm never off the clock, and I always kind of fall back into my journalist mode, and I, I wonder how my wife tolerates that, but um, she's learning. It's been almost 30 years. She's she's getting it. I'm curious, 800 miles of trails in the park, how were they created? Were, were Many of these trails start out as game trails. Did they st- start out as Native American trails? Um, what can you tell us about that?
2: So, what I'll start by saying is that throughout the Sierra, trails tend to follow natural breaks in the landscape. So, they're sort of where they're meant to be, in a sense. If the ridge is the easiest place to walk, the trail follows the ridge. If the river valley is the easiest place to walk, the trail follows the river valley. And so, it's quite likely that these mostly did start as game trails certainly when you're hiking off trail and you suddenly realize you're following a deer or a bear trail you feel very proud of yourself for having found the easiest way to go mm-hmm. um and these would then have a f- probably the vast majority then been trails used by the indigenous tribes there are a number of well established so we we know that certain trails were very well used by the Paiute and Chi people, um, including the trail that goes through Tuolumne Meadow linking the Mono Basin to Yosemite Valley. And there were a number of forks off that trail. There were also trails continuing south to Wawona. So these were all well-documented indigenous trails. Then once Yosemite became a national park and the cavalry showed up, well, so I should, maybe I'll step back one. Then came the shepherds, Mm. and their sheep and just like the game and just like the indigenous tribes the sheep and shepherds would undoubtedly have followed the easiest breaks in the landscape and rapidly over trampled the indigenous signs and so we don't know for many of the more remote trails within the park what their history is but we do know that the sheep and the shepherds went through them and then the cavalry was brought in to get rid of the sheep and shepherds and they were the first ones to sort of officially establish trails in our modern vernacular so they would have etched blazes onto trees to mark their route. They might have done some very minor trail modifications but the real period then of those... I guess what, they were always slowly brought more and more to the standard of what we expect today. And it would have been in the 1920s and 30s when many of the trails were then rebuilt and brought to their more modern standards. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most interesting things about Yosemite is how few trails have been abandoned. So in the national forests surrounding Yosemite, more and more of the minor trails are no longer being maintained and have slowly vanished over the years. Whereas in Yosemite, there are very, very few trails that they're not actively maintaining.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, with 800 miles of trails and, and few people, as you say, get out into the trail system, what what quality of trails are there? I mean, are there some that are more of a challenge to get through than others and, and some that uh, are heavily used? I mean, we we took a hike up to, I guess, Cathedral Peak or in that direction, and the, the trail had been pounded both by human and, and stock feet. And um, we refer to it as Yosemite flower, that uh, layer of dust on the trail.
2: There is certainly plenty of dust. Um, but let me think about the trails first in terms of their utility rather than their pleasantness. <laughs> and they they um, send a pair of people with a saw across the entire trail network every year, maybe excepting gotcha. incredibly high snow years. And this logging crew, as they call it, is not doing any true trail maintenance. They're simply removing down trees. And they attempt to, follow, to um, travel the entire network each year. And this means that the trails are always there for people to walk. As soon as you have a lot of logs down across the trail, most hikers tend to avoid the trail because it is, it's a lot of work to climb up and over giant down logs. Sure. So that's the first benefit this, and then meanwhile, there have are actual trail crews that go around in a much slower rotation focused on different parts of trail in need of work. I would say the only maintained trails in Yosemite that I find hard to walk are areas that have burned where there's a lot of shrubbery growth, and it regrows so quickly that it's, Almost implausible for the trail crews to come by quickly enough to prune the edges in the first few years following the fire. So, what you would have walked was a segment of the John Muir Trail south between Tuolumne Meadows and the Cathedral Lakes, and that trail is particularly dusty. It climbs up morainal sediments, which are already sort of sandy gravel, and then you have such high stock use along that trail. Mm But again, once you're a bit further from the trailhead and off those major trail networks, it tends to be quite pleasant forest stuff.
1: Really? Sounds wonderful. Do you have a sense, and and this is probably an aside from the book, do you have a a sense whether backcountry trail use is increasing, decreasing, or, or staying the same in Yosemite?
2: It's... Changing in use patterns. So it is increasing somewhat, but in particular, it's increasing along the well known major trail corridors. So the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail Corridor, and the JMT corridor are incredibly highly impacted. Hmm. Meanwhile, it is quite easy at any point during the year to get a wilderness permit for some of the more remote trailheads and less known about. So Yosemite by virtue of being 800 miles of trail and not having abandoned their trails has an astounding network. So, you know, I've described, I've split the trails up into 96 trips. Wow. But in the book I've indicated how these different trails link together and how the trips link together for a design your own experience. And as I said early on, You can walk for the better part of the day without seeing a single person in large parts of the park. It's just this dichotomy with, I guess the popularity of long distance hiking right now means that a trail that has a name is getting a lot of attention and the rest are being ignored.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's hope nobody's listening to this podcast and, you know, is going to flood out to those unnamed trails, (laughs) get off the main corridors. Is there a part of the park that's your favorite to hike in?
2: You know, I knew you were going to ask this, and it's hard because I love all of it. Sure. Um, my single favorite would be the Cathedral Range. So, the oh. area just south of Twalmy Meadows, um, you have this wonderful landscape of steep granite spires. Oh, so, it's the, spectacular. the lower ranges were all glaciated, but the summits extended above the sea of ice and are very steep fractured granite and just stunning
1: landscape really and then you've got some polished granite down there glacial glacially polished granite
2: exactly whatever's on the whatever was down below the glaciers is all smooth polished rock and around Tuolumne Meadows the granite is so massive meaning it had no or has very few fractures and so instead of Etching it deeper and deeper, the glaciers really just smoothed it into these fantastic sheets.
1: Yeah, it's really beautiful, too. I mean, it almost looks like it was polished for a kitchen counter someplace. That's right. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. What makes this guidebook different from other hiking guides to Yosemite? I mean, I've, I've read many guidebooks, as you can imagine. I've written a few. And one thing I've been searching for, for 20 years now... Is a new approach to guidebook content I mean you you pick up your your moon guides or your lonely planet guides or you know your wilderness press guide, and they they all kind of follow the same formula. How do you make one title stand out above the others?
2: Well, I would say there are two things I've worked hard to include in this book, one we've talked about quite a bit, which is the natural history component sure is. Really taking the time to educate people about what they're seeing. To me, that's one thing you can't get from a blog or an app in the same way. It really does take a lot of iterations to make sure you've fact-checked what you include and the time to sort of know the background. Um, The other is I've put a lot of effort into including my own topo maps in the book. Um, So they're color maps that I've created myself for each hike. And by creating your own detailed maps, you can really capture the information you want to draw the reader's attention to. So one of the things I spoke to was how the different trips link together. Mm -hmm. And so I I referenced trip numbers from one map to the next. All the trails on those were the ones I collected with GPS units. So I know they're accurately placed. So, it's to me, books still have value because of how well fact checked they are or should be. Now, I know that anyone who's writing blogs will take, will beg to differ and say they put in the same level of attention. But I think one of the things about a book is you work on it over many years. And so your eyes come back to your writing or what you've made time and again over three or four year period. And you keep catching little inconsistencies and try and weed them out. And I know that when you write something more rapidly, just the smallest of errors creep in.
1: Sure, sure. Never happens to me, but I know what you're talking about.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Happens to me all the time.
1: (laughs) Now, um, you kind of touched on it already, but what are your thoughts on 21st century journalism when it comes to guidebooks? And by that, I mean, I wonder if it makes sense to publish hard copy guides anymore. I mean, your book is nearly two inches thick, probably weighs a couple pounds. It's not something someone likely will toss into a day pack or a backpack. I mean, is there a companion app that goes with it? Not at this point, no. Um, this is really
2: an issue that the publisher needs to work on. It's it's sort of such an enormous transition for a print publisher to switch to an app-based format. Sure, I can imagine the direction you would go to convert something like this book into an app. It would not, because so many of the hiking apps are simply, you follow a line and you lose a sense of both the surrounding topography and also that sort of that level of detail. And so an app would have to be something with layers, a geology layer, a vegetation layer, and you'd have little geo paragraphs for the person to read.
1: Sure, sure. And that's
2: and, that's one direction I can imagine this moving.
1: Yeah, and the park services tried to do that with the latest iteration of their their apps for the park system. And certainly it's most hiking apps, are certainly not as comprehensive as the work you've produced, and I'm old school. I hate to try and stare at my phone while I'm hiking down a trail because <laughs> you can only fit so many words on it before you trip over the route that you didn't see because you're trying to follow the the app on your phone.
2: I also, you know, there there is a Kindle version of the book, and so people can have the entire book. With them. I was talking to somebody the other day who said he takes a razor blade to my books and just slices out the two pages at a time he wants to carry on a hike. Along the John Muir Trail, where I tend to talk to more people who've actually who I know have read the book, I receive a lot of comments that people each evening read the next day's text to sort of prep prepare themselves, sort of learn what to expect. So those are still things that are more about reading a few paragraphs than having an app.
1: Do they, do they take the entire book with them?
2: They're reading it on a Kindle.
1: Or oh, phone. okay. All right. All right. Good to know. Good to know. I only
2: saw one intact copy of my book
1: last summer. <laughs> is there a seventh edition in the planning? I mean, you said you got this assignment back in 2013. Is that right?
2: No, not yet. I mean, I continue to go out and hike every summer, all summer. Um, And so there's certainly trails that I've already hiked again since this, I submitted the proofs in April and I will be continuing to walk the trails continually, but we haven't yet started planning for the next edition.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, Lizzie, thanks so much for visiting uh, today with the traveler. I mean, I'll have to admit that um, I was not aware of all the hiking possibilities in Yosemite national park and, and looking at your colored maps. I mean, they really are intriguing and the, and the routes that you you outlined and it, it kind of makes it um, both an inviting and, and kind of easy to tackle the backcountry in Yosemite. So I think you've done a great, great favor for, for me and, and for countless other hikers as well.
2: Well, thank you very much for having me today.
1: What, what's your next project?
2: Oh, I'm in the process of updating the John Muir Trail Guide that Wilderness publishes again. So this will be the sixth edition of the book and my third edition. So the third time I'm the author on it.
1: Wow. Well, good to know that there are still books out there.
2: <laughs> there will be. <laughs> I quite like books too.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much, Lizzie. It's great and uh, happy trails.
2: Yes. Thank you very much.
1: That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. Next week, we'll be going outside the United States as Chris Tompkins, who along with her late husband Doug Tompkins went to Chile and Argentina with an intent to preserve natural landscapes, sits down with us. They were quite successful as they obtained more than two million acres of lands that they then turned over to the two countries' governments to operate as national parks. A short reminder, we're nearing the end of Traveler's Annual Fundraiser. We have a goal of raising at least $100,000 to help take our nonprofit news operation to the next level. And if you enjoy and look forward to these weekly discussions, I hope you'll go to our website, nationalparkstraveler.org, and support our efforts with a donation. For The Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks.
0: Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.